You are about to hear a message preached at Church One on the Gold Coast. To find out more about Church One, visit us on the web at churchone.com.au. And be sure to subscribe to these podcasts so you don't miss out on any new messages as they are available. God has given us an amazing computer. It doesn't need upgrading. Well, uh, for some of you, it probably does. And it's called your brain. You know, it, 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 it heals itself. It's, uh, it's, it's a miracle. Um, your knowledge about your life, it's all in there. Uh, about how to respond to life, how to solve problems. Uh, it's, it's this thing that can keep on learning. I had an old friend years ago that said to me, he was teaching his kids some really high-level concept. He had three-year-olds. Uh, this guy was, is a naval officer, and he said to me, I'm teaching my kids all of these amazing things. And I'm thinking to myself, I said, why are you doing that, mate? That's just kind of beyond them, isn't it? And he said something that really stuck with me for a long, long time. He said, the problem with adults is that, that they limit the ability of children to learn. And so they tend to teach them, they condescend to them, and they teach them things that probably... Uh, you know, probably too small for their growing mind. And I kind of really started thinking about that and I started to realize that we can never limit ourselves. Now here's the thing about your brain. Your brain can process so much and I'm not going to go too much about that. You learn all the time and continually all the way un until, until you die, I guess. You never stop learning. You never stop gaining information. Now having said that, there might be some deterioration with memory uh, loss and, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, you've got this amazing gift that God has given you, which is called your brain. It's an amazing thing. It really is. And in there stored are the knowledge about life, your knowledge about God, your, your, your paradigm. And, and when you connect your head knowledge with your heart, connection, you have something that happens miraculously. It's called transformation. So what happens is that when we come to know God, we have to know God beyond our head knowledge and need to know Him in our heart. Someone once said to me, you've heard me say this before, that the longest distance the gospel would ever travel is not from here to China, but the 12 inches from your brain to your heart. I don't think that you can take away or discount your mind or your knowledge or your brain away from your heart. True transformation doesn't happen if it's just heartfelt. Because if you just rely on what your heart knows and what your heart believes, uh, then you are at risk of having a, a very, um, what's, what's what I'm trying to look at, uh, to, to find, you, you've got a very limited understanding of God. And that you will only see God and know God based on experiences. That's dangerous as well. Because our experiences are always in flux. Who knows what I'm talking about. One day you're happy, one day you're not so happy. And one day God feels distant. Some days He feels like He's right next to you. James this morning shared how incredibly empowering it is at church today. How you have encouraged them. How your flame for the Lord. But sometimes people come to church with no flame. Or just a, just a kind of little ember and they're waiting for somebody else to encourage them. Who knows what I'm talking about. But, it, but sometimes our experience are just not good enough or reliable enough to determine who God is. 
Sometimes you can rely on your experience. Your knowledge on its own still is not enough to determine the fullness of who God is. Because without experience, without an encounter, without something that really touches your soul and your heart and the human condition and all your emotions, all you have is this kind of sort of stale knowledge uh, like books in the library that are actually lifeless until they make their way into the lives of human beings. Even the Bible on its own means absolutely nothing unless you see the Bible living in and through your life. And so I want to talk to you about knowing God. Probably one of, one of the most basic messages you'll ever hear is about knowing God. So many people have different understanding about God. Whether it's traditional, whether it's based upon what they've learned from their family. Sometimes it's based upon what they hear from the media. Or for others, it's what they learned in church through family and parents and, and whatnot. But every single person here may have a very common understanding of God. That He is sovereign, that He is a creator of the universe. But on a daily basis, I will say this, your true knowledge and understanding of God determines your destiny. I'm not just talking about your eternal destiny. Of course, I am talking about that. But not only that, but the daily choices you make, how you approach opportunities, how you face problems, how you handle persecution, how you handle trials in your life, all those things are based upon a singular knowledge, and that is about the knowledge of God. And how you raise your children, everything, what you do in your ministry, that's all based upon your knowledge of Him. There's a lot of tools out there that you can use to grow your business, to raise your family. A lot of books, a lot of seminars you can go to on how to be a better pastor, how to build your church. But ultimately, what emanates from you as a child of God is your knowledge of Him. I've been looking through the scriptures to what the best launching pad scripture for this message and I tried to find something that's really practical that's really kind of sort of connected to our human life rather than something that's sort of too super spiritual and you know because over the years Christians have just accepted the idea that God is God and that's it you know there's no explanation needed because he is God and I'm not discounting that I think that's true I believe that to be true but I also believe that God is not a God who does not show himself. God is not a God that, that says, I'm God, I'm sitting on the throne. You just got to believe in me. You just got to tell people that you know, that you know, that you know. And it sounds good when a really, really good preacher screams that out. I just know that, I know that, I know that God. You know, it sounds, oh, that's really amazing and, and interesting. And like, I can live with that. But God is making himself known. Both intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And I think there's a gap in people's understanding of God in this regard. When things go wrong, people blame God. Or they think it's God that's made things wrong. Right? They say God made this happen when it wasn't God that made it happen. So we either blame God or blame the devil, but we never take responsibility for the things that happen in our life. It's easier that way, I think. Deflecting and, 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 and sort of pushing responsibility somewhere else. But this morning, I want to really, I want to engage both your intellect and your heart. 
Because unless we do that, nothing will change. I believe in education. One of the reasons I'm so excited about the work that we're doing and the opportunities and going to the public universities in the Philippines, because I do believe that if we can engage people's minds with the right, you know, sort of uh, paradigm or belief systems, and we engage their hearts spiritually, and if those two come, we will see transformation. We see tra God does not want dumb Christians. Come on, somebody. You hearing me? All right. But at the same time, God does not want dead, powerless religion. So somewhere along the way, guys, you know, you've got to know your God. Not just the material is about God, but know Him. It's not about knowing the Bible. It's about knowing the author of the Bible. And through the Bible, it's not about knowing the histories of humanity. It's about knowing the one who created humanity. So looking for the scripture, I found one that I thought is really appropriate for this day. And I just love this one. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn your Bibles there. If you've got your, your, your gadget with you, swipe your finger there. Amen. Jeremiah chapter, chapter 9, verse 23 to 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now here's something that we all need to understand. At some point, at different points in your life, you will have a varying understanding and revelation of who God is. And at different points in your life, you will be blessed. You will have the favor of God. You will succeed in what you are doing. You might succeed in your career. You might succeed in your business. You might succeed in your leadership. You might succeed in your studies. Somewhere along the way, you're going to achieve great monuments of your life, titles. But all those things, all those achievements that you have are not the end of things. They are not, if I could say, the pinnacle of your success. And you can tell people how you've done things. And you can actually even insert God along your titles and your recognition and what you've achieved. And I'm not discounting what you've achieved because God gave you a brain for that. God gave you the opportunity for that. That is God's gift for you. But don't ever, 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 ever make the gift a greater priority than the giver. What God is saying here, when you achieve your success, when you become wise, when you become strong, when you become wealthy, when you succeed in all things, do not boast in these things, but boast in the fact that you know Him. But how can you boast that you know Him when you have a limited understanding of Him. We need the Holy Spirit to engage our minds and our hearts collectively. Because we have a God who makes sense, folks. Have you heard people say, you know, it's all up to God. It doesn't make sense, but you know, it's okay because it's God's will. Have you heard people say that? Probably not as kind of sort of in that kind of sort of tone, but, but people just say this. 
And I think we kind of sort of resort to the fact of ignorance when we don't understand things. The Bible is very clear as to what kind of God we have. How you juggle or how you find the balance between understanding your realities and spiritualities. And how we are meant to be supernatural people living in a natural world. You are supernatural first and you will be again supernatural in the end. Understand that. What you're going through in life right now is a temporary hiatus to find out who you really are eventually, eternally. Come on, are you hearing me? And that's why unless a person gets born again, it's difficult to really know God. Because unless you are born of the Spirit, God will always be a distant sort of book in the, on the shelf, the building in the corner, a cross somewhere. That's all God represents to you. Maybe through the books. But the interesting thing is, for me, sometimes I don't see the difference between atheists and Christians. Primarily because of the way they live their lives. And because of their lack of understanding of God. Or not even a lack of understanding, but, but a dysfunctional understanding of God. They don't fully understand God. I'm not going to go through theology with you today. I'm not going to try to explain God to you through theological concepts. But I want to make it as practical, as mentally engaging. But most of all, I pray that it re reveals something in your heart. Your knowledge of God always determines your life choices. I said that. And eventually the success and failure of your life will either be connected to your knowledge of God or your distance from Him. How you speak, how you present yourself is all determined by how you know Him. At base level, most people acknowledge God is all-knowing and powerful. Most people, if, if I say to you, how many of you here believe that God is all-knowing? You mostly would put your hand up. How many believe, believe that God is all-powerful? Right? It's not the genie from Aladdin that's all-powerful. All it's God, right? So we all know this. So no one's denying the fact that he authored the Bible, that he created the universe. But I'm going to go through some of those concepts a bit later on. But also there's a traditional view of God, that God is angry. You know, that he's this guy with a big long stick sitting on the throne waiting for you to make a mistake to crack you in the skull. Especially if you've come from a strong disciplinary family, you understand what I'm saying. You relate God according to that kind of discipline, you know. Um, I remember my pastor uh, in, who, who trained me in the ministry in my early years, in my early 20s. He was Nigerian and, and his son would muck around at the front of the church. During church service, little Samuel, he's a big boy now, little Samuel would muck around and he'd just laugh and his dad would be preaching. And uh, I don't know who I can use in an example here, but I won't. <laughs> because he would go to his son in the middle of his preaching, Samuel! <laughs> and would walk to him and it would flick him on the, right in the forehead, pow! <laughs> and the boy would look at his dad and sit down <laughs> for the whole service, you know. Uh, it was fun to watch, by the way. <laughs> I just couldn't wait. As soon as this little Samuel got up, I said, boy, you're going to get it from your dad. And I used to just watch that. But, you know, some of us are used to kind of strong discipline. And so we have this image of God or this knowledge of God that he's just waiting to get me. If I sin, God's going to get me. If, 
you know, and, and so we equate everything that goes wrong in our lives based on reward and punishment. But God is bigger than that. In fact, God is so big, he should have destroyed the world a long time ago. But instead, his response was sending his son to die on the cross for us so that we could be reconciled with him. I mean, if he was a punishing God, because we read the God of the Old Testament prior to his sending Jesus Christ. And we think, that's God. Oh my God I'm going to be in trouble. You're not in trouble. God is not trying to get you in trouble. And I know, we, you know, someone said to me, Pastor, we need to preach more about hell. I said, what about preaching more about heaven? You know, I mean, everybody knows hell. And I'm not denying the existence of hell or, or whatever it might be. But what I'm saying is, knowing God for who he really is, in a sense, neutralizes everything else. I don't have to worry about hell because I know I got heaven. Come on, are you hearing me? You only have to worry about hell if you haven't got God. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping you're all born again here because then you don't have to preach about hell. Right? I'm not saying you don't. Some say that God is distant. I remember this growing up as a young Catholic devout, devout boy. We would go through every saint there was. You can't just go to God directly. You'd go through Mary. Then you'd go through Joseph. Then you'd go through Peter because he was the head of the church. Then you'd go through all the saints. And then finally, you kind of get to Jesus. But he's still God's son. And you get the Father. So it was like a long-distance relationship. God had all these line managers I had to go through to get to him. There's this distant God that benevolently looks after the poor and, 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 and justice in the world and all those things. And, and, it, and it was not, there was no relationship. It was, I was his subject and he was this almighty king that just determines the destinies of people. That's, that's what it was like, this distant, unrelatable being. They're supposed to love me because they told me he loved me. And then traditionally we, we see this elite God, you know. And there's this thing that this God that wants to be worshipped, who's this guy? You know, kind of who, who died and made him God kind of thing, you know. He wants to be worshipped. And, and it's really difficult to understand because if you were to consider that from a psychological perspective, for a lot of people today that don't know God, they think that God is narcissistic. Because he wants worship of his creation, wants worship of people, that he deserves worship, that he seems to be this elite entitled God. Is he? Well, from a human perspective, he, it might look like that, but he's not human. Therefore, you can't judge him according to human perspective. You getting this? So what makes him worthy of all that? Well, if you don't know your God, you won't know the answer to that question. If you haven't had a revelation of God and His goodness and His love and His mercy and His eternal nature, you would never know the answer to that question. If someone says to you, God is narcissistic and He just wants to be worshipped, what gives Him, gives him the right to do? If you don't know Him, you wouldn't know what to say. The things that we say, the, the way we, you know, people say, you know, defend the gospel. You don't need to defend the gospel. Can I just say to you, one of the problems... A lot of times why Christians shut down is because we have this sense of guilt that we got to defend the gospel. 
But because we don't have enough knowledge, we end up not defending it. We become silent when people say things. You need to reveal the gospel. Jesus never defended God. He revealed the Father. When you reveal the Father through your life, come on, are you hearing me? Through your knowledge and through what God did in your life, through your life, people cannot argue with revelation. They can argue with the debate. They can argue with information. But revelation, what God's done for you and for your family and, and, and through your life, the other thing that I kind of sort of thought, what people thought is that they think that God is a silent God. He doesn't speak. So if, if, if you say to, to a psychiatrist that you hear God, they think you've got a psychological problem. Why is that? Because the human mind could never fathom the foolishness of God. The Word of God tells us that His wisdom is foolishness to man. And man's, and, 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 and man's wisdom is foolishness to him. So we see this things, I think it's called a dichotomy of that. Things being side by side, you know, seems to be an opposite. And then we have this in church today, this kind of, I would say, the over-familiar view of God. You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, Jesus is my friend. We even sing about it. Jesus, you are my best friend. You will always be. Remember that song? You don't know that song? What about this one for some of you who are circa 60s and 70s? <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, what's that Jesus friend song? I forgot about it for a moment. <laughs> what a friend we have in Jesus. Right? Who knows that one? A lot more. <laughs> All right. So is it, is it wrong because Jesus said, he's my friend. I'm no longer a slave. He's my friend. But the more I think about that, I realize that, yes, God is my friend, but he's not like any other friend. Because my friends betray me. My friends abandon me. Yes, my friends love me, but in the frailty of their humanities, they can never be a friend like Jesus is. And so in response, I can't treat God like any of my other friends. Is different to them. Yeah, we see God in our overfamiliarity as our helper, the the on-demand God. Have you do you have on-demand movies at home? You got who's got Netflix? Right? Yeah, I'm sure you got Netflix or Hulu or one of on-demand. This is the thing about the world today. The world is about being on demand. Getting everything as quickly as you can, on demand. Your remote control will get to anywhere in the world. Your computer, your, your iPhone, everything is on demand. We've got this ideology that we have this on-demand God. He will answer my prayers. He will make my life better. This God of mine, and, you know, sometimes it's frustrating because I have both U.S. Netflix and Australian Netflix, right? And the problem is that in the U.S. Netflix, you've got other movies that are not on the Australian Netflix. And it's really, really frustrating because, man, I paid for this thing and it's not there. It's not on demand. And sometimes we can treat God like some kind of on-demand God. He's got he's to put up. 
I prayed hard enough and long enough for something to happen and he hasn't done it. That's not the way God is. And I think that kind of view of Christianity, a view of God needs to change. Sometimes we have this gap understanding of God. You know what I mean? I said that earlier on this morning. When we have a heart connection with God but no intellectual connection with him. Take note that what Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's the next? With all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Did you see that? Relationship with God is not just one part of your faculties. It's not just your heart. It's not just your mind. It's not just your strength. Because some people can say, I'm serving God, serving God, but have no relationship with God. I'm doing all these things for God as if God needed you. Like he's in heaven saying, oh man, I really, really need Alan to help me out. Because I'll never be able to do the work I want to do on the earth without his help. God is not there, you know, you know it's, it's like, oh, I really need Ted to be a bit more sharper and, and more intelligent so that the gospel can be preached better. No, we, we are meant to love God with all that we have. And the problem with us, oftentimes why we're not living the fullness of God is because we're not giving the fullness of us. We say we want all of God. We want the fullness of God. And yet we don't want Him to be Lord of our marriage. We don't want Him to be Lord of our emotions. We don't have, want Him to be Lord of our intellects. We don't want Him to be Lord of our finances. We don't want Him to be Lord of our choices in life, of our future. We just want God to be the on-demand God. And we create this gap between us and Him in some areas of our life, whether it's an emotional gap or a mental gap or, 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 or psychological gap or whatever it might be. We kind of just want that little compartment of our life that has God in it. And yet we, we, we preach, you got to give 100% to God. And, and just because you've experienced God doesn't mean you've given 100% to Him. Because that, that's how gracious God is. You, God can move in this place and every single person can have an experience of an encounter with God. But it doesn't mean you're committed to Him just because you've experienced Him. You could get healed, it doesn't mean you're committed to Him. How do I know that? Because Jesus held 10 lepers. He healed 10 lepers all at the same time, simultaneously. Go your soul yourself to the priest. They went to the priest. One comes back. One comes back. And Jesus said this amazing words to him. You came back. Where's the nine? An experience, an encounter with God does not mean you're living in the fullness of a relationship with him. And this is the problem when we have the revivals of the 70s and the 80s. Everybody experienced the sovereign move of God. No one missed out. When rain comes, everybody felt the rain. Everybody got wet, but not everybody stayed in the glory of God. Not, every stay, not everyone stayed in relationship with Jesus. A God experience is not enough, folks. It's all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. It's everything of you. Because Jesus laid it all out for you. 
The knowledge of God is just so important for us and for our children. And I know that over the, over the time as a, as a leader, as a father, as I've grown into my relationship with God, even as a pastor, that I haven't perhaps always portrayed God in the right light to my own kids. And I thank God for my children because they ask me questions that no one's ever asked me before. Questions like, if God is, then why is this? And I had to be able to answer that in all the aspects of, of, of how they would understand it, whether it's intellectually, biblically, or spiritually. God doesn't want you to understand Him in one aspect of your nature, but in all who you are. How can you receive all of God when all of you don't get Him? Some people think that this overfamiliar God is a consenting, tolerating parent. He'll just, he loves me, so he'll just let me do what I want and he's okay with me. He loves me no matter what. Well, that's actually true for now. Eventually, that will catch up with you in some sort of way because. The loving God that you proclaim is also a God of judgment. And though he delays judgment, he is always righteous. Amen. You doing okay? So, as I look through this, thanks Annie. I know this, that the knowledge of God trumps all Earthly knowledge. Come on, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to think about that. Your knowledge of God trumps all earthly knowledge. Have you heard of a woman called Bathsheba? Bathsheba came from a foreign country. What did she hear about when she went to visit Solomon? Why did she visit Solomon? What was it? Anybody? Any takers? Why did Bathsheba visit, visit Solomon? Huh? Because of his wisdom. And where did his wisdom come from? And what is his wisdom of? His wisdom of God. He didn't have the wisdom of man. He had the wisdom of God. People think the wisdom of God is some kind of wisdom power cell that God puts in you. Now all of a sudden you become a really wise man. No, no. It's the wisdom. Solomon didn't have the wisdom of man empowered by God. He actually had the wisdom of God himself. Oh, come on somebody. He could make business decisions not like any man. It was supernatural wisdom. Come on, are you hearing this? You want to succeed in life? You need the wisdom of Solomon. It's not the wisdom of the earth. It's the wisdom of heaven entering human minds. Oh, come on somebody. Some of you got that? You don't have that. You'll have a half-baked human success. Filled with frustration. And filled with regret. Bathsheba went to Solomon because of his wisdom of God. And the Bible says that about Bathsheba. Because of that, it is now credited to her somewhere in righteousness. What does that say? So the queen of Sheba, not Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a different girl that was with David. Thank you, Ellen. Re rewind that. The queen of Sheba, not Bathsheba. That's a different story. And it wasn't full of wisdom. 
okay? Queen of Sheba, for those of you who are alive, listen to this, it's the Queen of Sheba, all right? The Queen of Sheba, and it's now accredited to her. She, the Bible indicates that because of her gaining of the wisdom of Solomon, it has now been accredited to her to be part of the people of God. Because her knowledge of God. She wasn't even a believer. She became a believer because of knowledge. Knowledge is powerful. Knowledge into your intellect and knowledge into your heart. Into your soul. Let me tell you what the Bible says about this in the book of 2 Peter. One of my favorite scriptures. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. How many of you like that promise? Put your hand up to know that the power of God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. That's a pretty cool thing. How many things has it given you for life and godliness that you need? How many? How many? Everything. Is that 90%? Is that 99%? No, it's not. It's 100% of everything you'll ever need in your life from the day you're born to the day you die. God has already given you, past participle, everything you need for life and for... When people say it's so hard to be a Christian, the problem is not how hard it is being a Christian. The problem is that you haven't tapped into what you need in God to live a fully godly life. He's already given you the power. He's already given you the resources. You may not see it physically. Your, rela your realities might be in, opposed, in opposition to this scripture. But let me continue to tell you what it says. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Did you get that? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may share in the divine nature. Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. In essence, it's saying, you want to tap into your full potential? It's not through what you know. Is through what he knows. And you'll never know what he knows until you know him. Oh, come on, somebody. You've got a business deal. You better know what God is doing in that business deal. You've got some negotiations to do about your work. You better know what God is saying about your boss. Come on, somebody. You want to promote. You better know what God is saying about those things. Are you saying... Pastor, that I should just wait until I hear God. No, no, no. You walk into things as if you are with God. You may not feel Him. It doesn't matter because He's not a boyfriend, girlfriend God that you feel you got to be with you all the time. Right? Second Corinthians puts it this way. Who knows the mind of God but the Spirit Himself? And then it says, but you have the mind of Christ. Did you get that? If you are in Christ, you have His mind. 
Because he is not the solution giver, people. He is the solution. He is not the one that would give you answers to your question. He is the answer to your question. He is not the one who empowers you. He is the power within you. And all of that, all of heaven, all its wisdom, authority, and power is unlocked by one key, the knowledge of Him. Father, let us be like Jesus. And Jesus said these, be one with my Father as I am one with Him. That Jesus came to reveal the knowledge of God. So I pray in Jesus' name that we who are standing today will know you in a deeper way that we've never had before. And I pray that in our journey that started two weeks ago in knowing God, in the next two weeks, this month of October, Father God, that Lord, you will reveal yourself in such a new way. I pray for a visitation of God upon each and every one, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Even, Lord God, when we're about to make a decision in the last moment, Father God, that we will hear your spirit to say, no, don't turn right, turn left. The sensitivity in our spirit to hear your voice. In Jesus' name. You have just listened to a message preached at Church One on the Gold Coast. To find out more about Church One, visit us on the web at churchone.com.au. And be sure to subscribe to these podcasts so you don't miss out on any new messages as they are available.